Hello, and welcome to our weekly podcast of Who's Here in the Hamptons. I'm Dan Retainer, and I am broadcasting from here in the Hamptons, a place I have lived for over 50 years. I've written 12 books about this place, and I've seen it grow through the years from small fishing villages to what it is today, a summer paradise for New Yorkers, artists, writers, musicians, movie stars, we have it all. In my podcast, I will bring you interviews with the Hamptons' powerful people, but I will also introduce you to residents who contributed to our growth through the years, and you may not even have heard about them. And now I'd like to welcome my guest, Brooke Leah Foster, a, an award-winning journalist whose work has appeared in the New York Times, the Washington Post, and the Atlantic, who's launched onto a second career as a fiction writer. Her first book was published earlier this year by Simon & Schuster called Summer Darlings, and uh, she's now been contracted to write a second book. Do you have a, a working title for the second book yet? Not quite yet. Tell us a little bit about Summer Darlings and uh, why did you decide you wanted to uh, write fiction and instead of just being a journalist? Yeah, well, hello. Thank you for having me today. I need to just start by saying that I'm a lifelong reader of Dan's papers, grew up reading Dan's papers, so I'm so excited to be sitting here with you, Dan. So I always look forward to the covers, you know, those beautiful artistic covers. Um, so why did I write fiction? You know, I have been my entire life. I'm somebody who loves bookstores. I hang out in bookstores. I travel to go to bookstores. No matter where I am, I find a bookstore and I love books and have always since I was a little girl. And I always dreamed of writing a novel, but I was a journalist and I was chasing after the facts and doing long piece creative nonfiction articles for a long time. What kind of, what kind of articles appeared in some of the dailies that you mentioned? Um, well, one of my favorite um, articles I did was a uh, piece that ran in the Washington Post magazine where I spent uh, two months following the Gallaudet University football team. Gallaudet University is the only deaf university in the country. So following this team as they got their new coach and they were real underdogs and I was riding on the bus with them and interviewing these kids and I couldn't speak sign language. It was just this incredible tale. And it ended up becoming, it was called The Sound and the Fury, and it ran in the Washington Post, and it was five, 6,000 words. So those are the kinds of stories I just got used to churning out. You know, I could, do, I did a story about a kid genius where I spent time with her and her family for four weeks to five weeks and then wrote a long-form piece. So I was really lucky. I fell into long-form journalism really young at a time when, you know, now getting long-form journalism in is super hard. You know, people don't have the attention spans, but I started out in... Um, when did I start out? Uh, around 2000, 1998, 99. So back then, you know, in the, two, in the 2000s, in the early aughts, people were still publishing those long form pieces. Um, so yeah, so I always dreamed of writing fiction and I always had ideas. I, you know, as writers, I'm sure Dan, you know, you constantly have ideas and some of them stick and some of them don't. And so I would have these ideas for novels and then they would flutter away and I'd get onto the next, you know, story on deadline. And, um, but I was vacationing with my family in Martha's Vineyard several years ago, no, five years ago. And I read this, um, I love reading the local papers when I go on vacation. I love flipping through real estate magazines, you know, daydreaming about what it would be like to move to that place, live there. And there was an advertisement for a house you could rent called The Swindle. And it had this really interesting storied past. It was this little 
Um, well, actually, it's not very little, but they called it a cottage at the time, similar to the cottages at the summer colony in Southampton, I suppose. Um, but it was a, a smaller house that was right on Vineyard Sound, and um, it had a young bachelor that lived there. And on one side of the house, down the beach, was another house that was a big estate that belonged to the granddaughter of the Standard Oil Fortune. And, on the, and then the cottage was in the middle, and on the other side was a big estate of a Broadway show star. And as the story goes, these two women, who, these waspy women who lived in these big mansions, really hated this, this cottage in the middle. The guy was like having parties, and it was like a rundown fishing camp in their eyes, and they wanted him gone. And so he tried to sell it to them, but it was for a song, and he, I mean, it was for too much, and they thought, no, we're not doing that. Well, then at that, that fall, I guess, or spring, he painted it this garish blue. And um, they came and they were horrified and they said, fine, we'll take it at any price. And so they, you know, as the story goes, he swindled them. He swindled them out of it. But, but anyway, that ad, just that story, I immediately started seeing these characters. I could see this lone, you know, bachelor living in this cottage in the middle this super waspy family on one side. I was envisioning like the 1950s, 60s housewife, you know, the real social light society like family. I saw them as steal money right away. I don't know why. And then on the other side in this other house, I imagined this very um, seductive Hollywood movie star who had connections to New England somehow. And this is where she chose to make her um, summer home. And you know, that, that was it. And then as I was vacationing, I started hearing them talk and I started visualizing what they looked like. And then I would see, you know, one of them ride by on a bike while I was sitting on the family digging a sandcastle with my son. You know, they just started to take hold in me, these characters. And I figured, okay, you know, this is kind of fun to daydream about. I love daydreaming on the beach, you know, about stories. And then I got home and these guys, these characters, I tell you, they found me and they didn't leave me. They just, I just started seeing the story. I saw how the summer was going to go for them. I knew that there was going to be a young nanny that would arrive into this scene um, and really get seduced by the summer people. And, and, and also kind of um, the story I wanted to, to re I wanted it to really peel back the underbelly of privilege, you know, the dark underbelly of privilege, this idea that everyone looks perfect on the outside, but as soon as you kind of peek behind the curtain, things aren't so perfect. Um, and so it just kind of took off from there. I started writing it. I wrote a draft really fast as a journalist. I believe in really quick and dirty drafts, so I'm okay with it being messy and not being perfect and not making sense. And I just got it out. And then I enrolled in a class at Sarah Lawrence and started working on it and uh, revised it for three years. So it didn't come out beautiful. Let's just start there. <laughs> Why did you call it Summer Darlings? So the, the title, when it, 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 um, it underwent a few different, it, it started and evolved and changed. But in the end, I actually came up with that title, and I'm really proud to say that because I know a lot of novelists don't always get to choose their title, but I was desperate to, to name my book. I wanted to so badly. And, you know, my grandmother was a very beautiful dancer in the 40s and 50s. She was on cruise ships. She did Fred Astaire-style partner dances, and I had always had these um, old photographs of her that I would stare at with her hair and these gorgeous curls and, you know, the the high heels and the jazz looking beautiful dress. And she carried that sense of style with her through her whole life. And she would just walk around being like, hi, darling. Hi, doll. How's your bow? 
And I just adored that. And when I was writing this book, those words kept coming to me. Her voice kept coming to me, um, even though she never lived a day on Martha's Vineyard in this, in this scene that I'm capturing. Um, and so I just decided to, to try to pair doll or darling with different words of summer. And summer darlings just stuck in. My editor loved it. And, and that was kind of, we went from there. So, Did uh, Simon & Schuster send you out on tour? Is that still done? Well, my book came out May 5th when most bookstores in the country were closed. Mm -hmm. So it was right in the middle, in, in the beginning of the pandemic. Um, so we know there was no tour. It was a, it was a Zoom book tour. And, um, you know, which I have to say, people, the book, I think, did, did really well in part because people were home and people were looking to escape and they wanted to read. And what's better than going to the summer of 1962 in Martha's Vineyard, right? I mean, doesn't that sound like great fun during the pandemic? <laughs> so, um, so I did a lot of Zoom, Zoom events and got very used to them. And you know what? In a way, as a working mom, they were easier because I didn't have to go on a book tour. I could do it right from my home office. So where were you by Zoom? Were you in Miami or San Francisco? Oh, gosh. Uh, well, I did just do a, a Palm Beach, a Vero Beach Book Center uh, Zoom. So that did, that did count. Um, oh, goodness. I was in Newburyport, uh, Massachusetts. And um, oh, I'm going to blank. But, but lots, lots of different places. And so you decided now to do a book on uh, the Hamptons. I have. So I grew up out east. I grew up in Waiting River, um, which is, you know, second to last exit on the LIE or third to last exit. Don't quote me. Um, and, you know, grew up going out there, going to Montauk, where I have a lot of family um, living. And, you know, the Hamptons, they, you know, it's just a captivating place. And I have so many family members that talk about what it used to be like this glory of how the traffic wasn't what it was like or the you know the big mansions that were there they weren't everywhere you looked and the businesses were different and there's just so much nostalgia about the Hamptons and I thought why not go back in time so I love historical fiction so that's what I've been doing I've been researching what it was like out there in the 50s and 60s. What have you found that helps you set the scene? Well, you've helped me tremendously. Um, I've been interviewing Dan about some of his own memories and they are quite extensive. So that's been amazing. Thank you. Um, one of the things that really made me laugh was just how people complain about the traffic then too. So the traffic being, the, the fact that there's traffic now, obviously it's worse, but just the fact that getting out there from the city on a Friday afternoon was a big headache to people back then too, kind of made me chuckle because I had this sense that you could just fly out without another car, you know, and arrive to this quiet place without anyone else there. There was, um, there was no LIE. Right, you had to take Sunrise Highway, right? Yeah, all the old villages. Yeah, right. What's um, the form of your new book? Can you tell us a little bit about how it's going to play out? I'll tell yes. It's about a young, uh, wealthy couple from New York City who go out to uh, Gin Lane, for the summer and some unexpected uh, things happen in the story that uh, force them to stay for the entire summer. They weren't planning to and how that summer changes their lives forever, both good and bad. Um, and as always, just like in Summer Darlings, there's a real feminist angle 
And at a time when women were very powerless and really didn't have much of a voice, my character finds hers. And that's partly why I love writing historical fiction, because I can kind of play with history a little bit. Do you, uh, do you have any uh, writers that you admire? I was thinking when you said that of Susan Isaacs, for example. Yeah, you know, I love Beatrice Williams. I don't know if you're familiar with her, but she's a writer who wrote A Hundred Summers and it came out probably, I don't know, 15 years ago now, maybe 10, I don't know, I'm losing track, but she's since written 12, 15 books. So it's not as though, but that was her big splashy one. And that took place in Newport, um, right on the eve of the stock market crash. And it was about these two young um, debutantes whose lives change forever. One's family loses their fortune entirely and one is completely unaffected and how much their summer changes. And when I read that book years ago, I remember thinking, God, I would love to write something like this. You know, it's just, it's got that, that punch where you're, you're reading about something in the past, but it's still so relevant today. And you can see yourself in the problems that these um, men and women had back then too, even now. So that, that really appeals to me, but I mean, I read far and wide. I think the only, the only genre I don't get into really is fantasy. But otherwise, I love a good Ann Patchett novel. Oh, my goodness. She just is amazing. And, um, you know, Ellen Hildebrand, she's, you know, she keeps writing these books that women keep reading because they, they really tap into an inner emotional, um, you know, inner emotional depth and feelings and things that we can all relate to. So I really envy that. And she does it on this sparkly summer island every time. So. Tell us uh, a little bit about where you grew up and uh, particularly how you came to be early on interested in writing. Sure. So I grew up, like I said, in um, in Eastern Long Island, on the Long Island Sound. We lived up on a... um, we lived up on a cliff and we weren't the house on the cliff. We were a few houses back, but it was amazing because there were, um, there was 168 steps down to the Long Island Sound. And it was this real amazing playground for me as a child. I could wander the beach for hours alone and in all seasons. And I really loved the beach in all seasons. Um, And I would say I started writing. I mean, writers, we're born writers, right, Dan? I mean, we come out writing. I, I was writing, you know, diary entries, journal entries, but I was also writing menus. Like, I just remember writing. I was always writing as a kid. I created my own magazine at age 10, you know, just for my parents to see. Um, and, and that just continued. I got into high school and, you know, everyone else did sports. I was in the journalism room. I was up there, you know, cutting and pasting with the exacto knives. Remember that on the boards and it would be sent to the printer and I just loved it all. Um, and when I went to college, I thought I wanted to be a journalist right away. But when I got there, I was just so amazed by how many different things you could learn. And I thought to me, I don't know, is this kind of like smart that I did this looking back, but I was kind of thinking journalism, some journalism to me feels like something you got to learn as you do it. You just kind of have to like go out there and do it to learn. So I, I decided to major in English lit, which is probably that side of me that dreamed of writing fiction, even at such a young age. And it was really smart because I think I learned how to be a good writer in so many different ways um, before I even stepped foot in a magazine. But then I got my first job at Washingtonian Magazine in D.C., which is the city magazine of of, uh, D.C., just like New York Magazine. And I worked for this um, older editor who'd been, you know, through journalism for years. And he said, listen, half the time you're here, 
I need you to, you know, send files around for me and get me a cup of coffee. The other half is whatever you make of it. So let's see what you can do. So I immediately started writing and within a few months had my first long form piece. And within a year I was a staff writer and I just stuck there for about 10 years until I moved on to New York and Boston. Where did you go to college? I actually went to University of Maryland, right in College Park. Where I grew up, my high school was very small. Everybody knew everybody and everything about everybody. And the idea that you could go to this place that was a city of kids, it was 30,000 kids, it was just so appealing to me because, you know, the smaller liberal arts colleges, I think if I'd gone to a large high school, that model would have appealed. Sure. But I just wanted to be somewhere where it seemed like there was so much happening. And the idea that I could be close to this, you know, DC and get into writing about politics or whatever I was envisioning at the time. Now you lived uh, in Wading River. Mm -hmm. In the summer, it seems you also came out to the Hamptons. Yes. My family, um, on my dad's side of the family, lived in Montauk. Um, Two of my aunts year-round. And what's that? Is your dad a fisherman? No, but my uncle was. Mm -hmm. And my uncle worked for years at his brother's place, the Shagwong. Mm -hmm. Um, So... Uh, and my, you know, my grandmother had her second wedding at Rushmeyer, the old Rushmeyers. I know it's something different now, I think. And um, so they were there. And then my other uncle came out there. And then my mom grew up summering in the Ditch Plains uh, trailer park. So she had one of those. So, you know, they were always, we were always out there. I remember being a young girl at Ditch Plains with um, the actor Jerry O'Connell as the lifeguard. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and we would all swoon over him, you know, hang, or maybe he wasn't lifeguard, but he was hanging around the lifeguard stand with the other good looking lifeguards. So we would all be kind of staring at them and tracking every move. Cause I think by then he had been in stand by me. Um, so yeah. And then, you know, I, I also nannied in the Hamptons for one summer. Um, I was a, um, nanny for an amazing family who lived in Bridgehampton. And they were in um, they were in the arts, and they had actually she wasn't, but he was, and they had one son. They actually moved to um, Western Mass after 9/11, and I just lost touch. So, so I I put in I actually one summer the summer after freshman year of college, I you know I thought to myself, gosh, I've gotta I gotta find some kind of cool job. So I put an ad in Dan's papers for a, um, that I was a college kid home for the summer and I would, you know, do cool stuff with your kid. I didn't want to be a traditional babysitter or nanny, but I would be kind of like a, you know, professional play date um, runner. And uh, I got a job with this family and they had one little boy and um, they were lovely. They, you know, the, the, in, my, in my book, Summer Darlings, the nanny uh, who works for this very waspy family and has a hell of a time. It is not a glorious situation. But the, it, you know, my experience was lovely. But I will say, you know, I was a local girl nannying for a, a New York City family. And it was, it, for me, it was really interesting because even when I was in Montauk, I was with the locals. You know, I was never with the summer people. So Were you a surfer? I was not. I wish. <laughs> I wish. <laughs> um, what were some of your the favorite places you used to go to or when you were out in Montauk? Um, so my mom would always take us up to the Montauk to see the sunset. I love that. You know, I, 
I, I've always been taken with the Montauk Manor. I mean, after hearing me talk, you're probably not going to be that surprised. I remember writing a travel piece for the Baltimore Sun about the Hamptons. No, I was writing about Montauk, sorry. We, and um, I was just standing in that lobby for a while. And the first line of that piece is actually, if you squint, it's something on the lines of, if you squint in that, in that lobby, you, you feel like you might see Jay Gatsby, because that's really mm -hmm. how it feels. It's so grand with the columns and the floors and, um, and you know, the, the, the indoor pool, it just feels so Gatsby-esque to me. Um, but you know, also it's just all that coast, right? It's what draws us all out there, the way the light reflects off the ocean and going to, the, to Cooper's or Ditch Plains or where, wherever it is, Cedar Point Park and going on the, you know, going rowboating. I love doing that there. So um, I'm trying to think if there's any other restaurants. I love stopping at um, the Candy Kitchen just from the time from being a kid and having a grilled cheese and a milkshake and, uh, you know, walking around Sag Harbor. I, I've always loved Sag Harbor and, and um, the bookshops there. I miss some of the ones that have closed and you know but the one that's there now is lovely and so is Bookhampton and uh in uh, East Hampton but yeah those are my stops have you been thinking about another book after this book of course so while my reader was well my reader while my editor was reading um my second book I of course started outlining a third book and um you know Sagaponic uh, has always, I just love it as a place so much. And my third book was immediately shaping up to take place there. So I don't know if I'm going to leave the Hamptons after the second book. I want to go back to Martha's Vineyard, but I don't know. I may have to stay out there. I just love it too much. How do you, how do you work? Do you work on a laptop? Did you always start on a laptop when you started writing? So I do. I actually, well, I would say I do a lot in notebooks. I have notebooks that I just love to work in. I have a bunch of them here and I um, will sit on a beach. Surprise, surprise. I'll sit on a beach with them and a pencil and I kind of just scribble things down. Sometimes it's a voice, sometimes it's a, um, a scene, you know, a, a specific place I'll start writing about, but I sort of get this sense of, of my characters. And then I don't, you know, in, in, in fiction, they talk about pantsers versus plotters. And the idea is that when you're writing a novel, some people plot the entire thing out from beginning to end, every scene, every arc. And some people have a general idea and they write by the seat of their pants. And I'm the latter. I'm definitely the latter. I, I always know my beginning, my middle, my end. I'm not writing blindly. I know my characters, but I discover a lot through writing. It's just how I... Um, how I enjoy the process. And so oftentimes that means actually with both of my books, I have to go back to the first half and fix it. Cause by the time I get to the second half, I realize what I'm trying to say and where I'm trying to go exactly um, with my character. So I have to go back and kind of backpedal in the first half, but that's okay for me. Cause I don't mind revision, you know, Anne Hull, she's a, she, I don't know, she was, she's a journalist who for a long time was at the Washington Post, an amazing writer. Um, went, won the Pulitzer Prize. And I remember seeing her speak once and she said, rewriting is a gift. There's very few professions where you get to a do-over. And in writing, you can do things over, over and over and over and make them better. And I really believe that. I think with, um, especially with fiction, um, but certainly with journalism as well, my journalistic pieces, rewriting is a gift. And I love the revision process because it gives me time to, to keep working on it and make every character sharper, every slice of dialogue have a reason. 
And um, by the time you get to the end, you know that everything in the story had a place, so. Have, have your characters ever surprised you by behaving in ways you hadn't intended? That's a great question because they certainly do all the time. Um, in Summer Darlings, I, I have, so my, my main protagonist, her name is Hetty, and she falls for two guys. One is, um, you know, a hip surfer down the beach, and one is a, um, a, the heir to a New York newspaper fortune. And so they're very different guys. And what I noticed is I had in my, in my head which one I wanted her to choose from the beginning. But as I was writing, I started to kind of fall for the second love interest. And then I realized my character was really moving in that direction. And I thought, oh, geez, this guy's really emerging. So then I actually had to go back and, you know, rein him in a little bit. But yes, he just emerged off the page as this amazing person. And, and it's funny because I've had a lot of my friends obviously read my book, but more than one have come up to me after and said, uh, you wouldn't have picked the guy she picked. You would have picked the other one. And I was like, I know, but I'm not the protagonist. I mean, so, so yes, they surprise me all the time. Sometimes they're much more wicked than I think they're going to be. And they say things, it just comes right out of your subconscious, these wicked lines that I'll reread and think, where is that living inside of me that I even have that to pull out? So oh, that you do, you'll never be bored. You'll well, very true. And, and, and I also, feel, you know, you feel a little crazy sometimes because you live in this fictional world and you get to know these characters so well and you love them, you care for them, even, even the ones that you hate, you still, you know, they, they're there. And as I'm working on the second book and, and falling in love with this, an entirely new cast of characters, you, I miss the old ones, you know, there's, there, I haven't thought about them or talked about them or, you know, so it's nice to have this conversation with you about some of them. Do you have a, a, a date when the book is due by? In, yes, in it's due, in, it's due um, January. And then my editor and I will go over it one more time. And then we start doing cover design and it'll be out. It's due out April, May, 2022. So it won't come out this, this spring, the following spring. Well, good luck to you. Thank, Thank you. you. Do you expect to have a book signing in the Hamptons when it comes out? I expect to have many book signings in the Hamptons. Are you kidding? I'm going to be so excited because my book hopefully will come out May 2022. We better be done with this pandemic by then and I can actually have an in-person event. Um, and that would be, yes, I, I will plan many and I will get to meet so many of you who are listening right now, hopefully. Thank you, Brooke. Thank you for coming to my podcast. Let's stay in touch and I look forward to reading your book. Thank you, Dan. Okay, bye. Bye.